I heard mention Elliot Lewis and Silver Screen. There used to be Lux and a Screen Guild Playhouse. I don't know if I can repeat the line, but Elliot Lewis had a great line <laughs> to uh, Loretta Young. To Lorene. Lorene talking about one of the... Uh, yeah. I'll be up to, for your answer in the morning. That's right. I'll be up for your answer in the morning. I'm not going to repeat what came out. What do you think about it? I'll be up your... And with that, it was looking at the page, looking at himself, looking at everybody and saying, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. All the way back to a seat. Virginia Gregg, who you've, you've met, she had the marvelous line of Tinger Frigger. Um, do you remember that? No. Ting, her, my trigger finger was itchy and her Tinger Frigger didn't work. <laughs> How busy were you at your busiest, as far as being... I think I counted one week, I did 20 shows Mm. in one capacity or another. I was finally, in the late 50s, or middle 50s, I guess, involved in the production, direction, acting, whatever, on five weekly series. My desk at CBS looked like a joke. I was doing the Harris show as an actor. I was producing and directing suspense, producing, directing editing, writing openings and closings, and co-starring in On Stage, producing and directing Broadway's My Beat, and I was producing, directing, and writing the openings and closings and editing Crime Classics. And at one point, CBS had three of those shows on back-to-back on Wednesday night. And by taping parts of this one and sections of that one, because you couldn't record the music, music had to be live and had to be put in when you went on the air and having adjoining studios, I was able to do it. I was on the air, I had a show on the air from 5.30 to 6, I had a show on the air from 6 to 6.30, and I had a show on the air from 6.30 to 7. I mean, network feed. It was Elliot Lewis night on CBS. Yeah, it was ridiculous, you know, there's no reason for that. It was just silly, but that's just the way the scheduling happened. By June of 1954, the 36-year-old Elliot Lewis was producer-director of four shows and the star of two. His peers affectionately dubbed him Mr. Radio. Perhaps most prominently, he'd been the producer and director of Suspense since the fall of 1950. To me, acting is kind of dull, and so I wanted to go and do the other things. And Bill Spear, who was producing and directing Suspense and was, to my mind, probably the greatest of I wrote scripts for him, and then he had me editing scripts all this while I was acting. And then uh, we got very close. We had a good relationship. And he wasn't well for a while, and he asked if I would produce and direct suspense for him. And I did some. Then he had to go to Europe to do a picture with June and the Masons. James and Pamela were married at that time. And Pamela had written a book, done the adaptation, and James and June were going to co-star, and Bill was going to produce and direct it. And that meant that he'd have to give up suspense. And he, in a very dramatic scene, handed me the torch and said, you go do this, I'm going to go do pictures. And I said, fine, off you go. And he said, and also take care of Howard and Sam Spade for me while I'm gone. Program sponsor Autolite preferred to keep its commercials humorous, feeling that the change of pace shocked the audience to attention. 
Each 30-minute episode required over 500 total hours of work from 50 people. With Lewis at the helm, Suspense was able to stave off some of the decline in ratings other shows succumbed to. This was partly due to his partnership with Morton Fine and David Freakin. Now, Elliot Lewis, you said towards the end, the three of you could do no wrong. What are some of those shows that you did no wrong for, including Suspense, of course? We did, well, I'm going to talk about that for a minute, because we did musicals on Suspense. Yes, you did. Did you write Frankie and Johnny? Did indeed. With Dennis Shore? Did indeed. Okay. And then we did Black is the Color Mm -hmm. with Jeff Chandler. We did several of those, and we didn't ask anybody's permission. We just did it, you know. (laughs) What song shall we do, fellas? And we'd pick a song, and we'd write a suspense. Did you border on getting into some trouble over some of those? Autolite and its 98,000 dealers bring you Mr. Peter Lawford in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents a classic study of suspense, a new dramatization of one of the most terrifying stories ever written. Wilkie Collins, A Terribly Strange Bed. Our star, Mr. Peter Lawford. is so wonderful as a day in June. Why, world famous Autolite spark plugs, of course, Hap. Although the series, now airing Mondays at 8 p.m., was still heard by roughly 12.5 million people each week, at season's end, Autolite decided to discontinue their sponsorship after six years. That's why Autolite spark plugs are specified as original equipment. The last Autolite suspense episode was A Terribly Strange Bed on June 7th. Adapted by Morton Fine, it guest starred Peter Lawford as an English cop in France. He wins big at a gambling table, gets drunk, and ends up in a hotel room with a booby trap bed. Spark plug dealer soon. He's a specialist on spark plug cleaning and adjustment for all makes of cars. And if replacements are needed, he will install ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, either resistor or standard type, best suited to your car and your style of driving. Remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite presents Mr. Peter Lawford in Wilkie Collins' story, A Terribly Strange Bed, hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Shortly after my education at college was finished, I happened to be staying in Paris with an English friend. We were both young men and lived, I'm afraid, rather a wild life in the city of our sojourn. And thus had probed the various refined pleasures suitable to our class and search for others less elegant. Search for them in the neighborhood of the Palais Royal, which lies covertly against the dark river Seine. And from each closed doorway, the small echoings of small promises. (laughs) That one, Henry. That doorway there. Oh, you're drunk, Gerald. Pleasantly, exquisitely, modestly, delicately am I drunk. And therefore... Therefore what, Gerald? The doorway I have suggested and the word Frascati painted on it. Noble word, noble mysteries. I've been there. Oh, sly, sly, sly and traitorous friend. You have been there. And alone, slyly and without me. And it has a ghastly kind of respectability. Five franc respectability, and it would would not not amuse amuse me. me. Come along, Gerald. Come along, Gerald. Hmm. That's it, Gerald. You're coming along very nicely. What I want, Gerald... Oh, what you want, Henry. 
Want and you shall find. Want and you shall find. What I want is somewhere where we can see a little genuine blackguard, poverty-stricken gaming with no false gingerbread glitter thrown all over it. No gingerbread for my friend. Thank you very much. A place not fashionable, not respectable. A place of evil, perhaps. And of emotions I've never known. Oh, Gerald, come along. Gerald will not come along. Gerald is content here. Listen to me. Gerald is content here to lean his weariness and his search against this doorway. Against... (laughs) Gerald! (laughs) The door had flung open behind him, and Gerald had fallen flat on his back. And for a while laughed. Then, with my help, got up. And Gerald laughed no longer. For the room, the gaming room, was tragedy. Mute, weird tragedy. And the quiet in the room, horrible. And the people of the room, a thin, haggard, long-haired young man whose sunken eyes fiercely watched the turning up of the cards and never spoke. The flabby, fat-faced, perspiring player who registered on a pasteboard how often black one and how often red and never spoke. The dirty, wrinkled old man with the vulture eyes and the darn greatcoat who had lost his last sou and still looked on desperately and never spoke. The voice of the croupier. Red and black, make your best. Red and black. The voice of the croupier, dull and thick in the atmosphere of the room. We had entered on a laugh, but the spectacle before us was something to weep over. I'd found it. The pleasure I searched, I'd found it. Henry. Yeah? Your eyes. The look in them... Yes. <laughs> what you wanted, isn't it? The place of evil and of emotions you'd never... I want to play. Red of course means. you do. Come, then. Red and black, make your bets. Red and black, your bets. Red and black, your bets. A thousand francs on black. Black, black wins. Leave it. All of it, Black. Henry. Shh, wait. Black. Black wins. Leave it. All of it, black. Henry. Yes. This is a passion for you. No, no, not a passion. Idle amusement. Yes, only amusement. Wait. Black. All of it. All of it red. This time, red. Oh, not passion, then. Intoxication, perhaps. Yes, intoxication. As I have never known it, intoxication. Yes. 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 Which has become... Red. Red wins. All of it, red. And 10,000 more. Oh, which has become passion. Which has become passion. Red. Red wins. Now... The black croupier. Black. Oh, permit me, sir. (laughs) Permit me to restore to their proper place the two coins which were dropped. (laughs) There, in their proper place, a thousand francs. A tall man, and quite fat, pinched into a frogged and braided surto. A man of goggling, bloodshot eyes, mangy moustaches, and a broken nose. 
and the dirtiest pair of hands I ever saw. Yet in the mad excitement, his look, his hands, held no repelling influence on me. For now in the mad excitement, in the reckless triumph, I was ready to accept even such as he. What wonderful luck is yours, sir. I pledge you my word of honor as an old soldier in the course of my long experience in this sort of thing. Never, but never have I seen such luck as yours. Thank you. Go on, sir. Boldly, handsomely, break the bank. I assure you, sir, I have every intention... Do it then, sir. Go on, break the bank. <laughs> my gallant English comrade, boldly, break the bank. All of it. Black. And I did go on. Went on at such a rate that in an hour... Gentlemen... The bank has discontinued for tonight. In an hour, in an hour of a kind of ecstasy I'd never known, all the notes and all the gold in the bank now lay in a heap under my hands. The whole floating capital of the gambling house under my hands, waiting to pour into my pockets. No. No? No? Uh, no, not in your pockets, sir. For no breeches pockets whatever sold could hold such heavy winnings. Well, then how... Uh, may I take your pocket handkerchief, sir? Uh, thank you. Ah, tie it up, sir. Tie it up in your handkerchief, as we used to tie up a bit of dinner in the army. <laughs> ah, shovel it in. Uh, now then, sir, two tight double knots each way, with your permission. Ah, and the money's safe. Thank you. Feel it, feel it, sir. Hard and round, hard and round as a cannonball. Feel it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, champagne, sir. I will buy you champagne. No, thank you. I... Well, for your friend, then. For Henry's friend, then. <laughs> Amiable, gracious Englishman. Champagne! Champagne for the friend of the conqueror of the bank. And for me. Ah, come, sirs. Uh, to my table. <laughs> I am Fabian Nero, gallant sir. And you? Henry Calder. And this is my friend, Gerald Titchener. Henry, Gerald, Fabian. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely. <laughs> Henry, Gerald. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Henry and Gerald. <laughs> Fabian. We are friends, aren't we? To have touched your sleeves. To have you seated here beside me. <laughs> this old soldier's heart will burst. My eyes will weep. My hands will... Ah, ah, the champagne. Ah, ah, a toast, gentlemen, a toast to... Not for me, please. Oh, oh of course not for you. Uh, Gerald and I, then. You and Gerald, Fabian. <laughs> a toast to the goddess Fortune, who embraced tonight our Henry and smiled secretly upon him and nestled very close. The goddess Fortune, gentlemen, an English cheer. Hurrah, 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 hurrah. Ah. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> ah, Fabian, quickly enough. Yeah. Gerald, you were tipsy before. Now you'll... Henry, talk. not to permit the golden blood of France to flow through the veins of this vivacious Englishman. And Gerald, your friend. Oh, shame, Henry, shame. <laughs> Drink, Gerald. Uh, toast to France. To the present company... The croupier. And the croupier's wife. And the croupier's daughter. Ah, the uh, croupier's uh, daughters. Uh, and to ladies elsewhere. And to ladies... I should uh, like coffee, Fabian. Uh, coffee? Coffee. For me and for Gerald. For intoxication... Well, is... coffee it shall be. Uh, coffee. Coffee for the darling of fortune. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> 
The word pronounced by Fabian Nero seemed to have a magical effect on the company present. They suddenly had lost interest and, and all rose to depart. Probably they had expected to profit by my intoxication, by the proffering of champagne. But finding I would have none of it, had now abandoned all hope of thriving pleasantly on my winnings. Whatever their motive might be, at any rate, they went away in a body. And the silence of before was now deeper than ever. Then, from a sort of vestibule at the far corner of the room, a woman appeared, bearing a tray of coffee and glasses, and walked towards us, enveloped in silence. Woman of emaciated face and burning bright eyes and wisps of colorless hair drifting across her rouged cheeks. Your coffee, sir. Thank you. You will find it strong and good. Thank you. Strong and good, handsome sir. Here you are, sir. Thank you. For I am parched with thirst. And it was kind of you and of Fabian and gracious and generous. How wise you are, Henry, to drink this coffee of Millie's. The coffee of Millie Prudhomme. Millie Prudhomme. Divine Millie. Beautiful Millie Prudhomme. Oh, <laughs> handsome sir. Will you have coffee? No. Champagne, Millie. Ah, to drink your beauty. How <laughs> wiser than your friend, Gerald, to drink coffee and rid yourself of your little amiable exaltation of spirits before you think of going home. And you must, my good and gracious friend, for with all that money... Good and gracious friend. With all that money to take home tonight, it is a sacred duty to yourself to have your wits about you. Drink, Henry. Drink your coffee. You are known to be a winner to an enormous extent by several gentlemen present tonight who are but mortal men, sir, and have their own amiable weaknesses. <laughs> Drink, Henry. Who'd surely rob and murder if you were to... Wait! Wait. Oh, yes, I'm ill. I'm very... What? He is ill. Very ill. I will weep. Henry is ill and I'm drunk. Millie will sob. Will you sob, Millie? Ill. A fit of giddiness. The room whirls round and round. Furiously. Henry! Your voice deafens me. Furiously! Oh, my dear friend, my dear friend. Madness to go home in your state. You would be robbed, murdered. You need a walking and then a sleep and not a murdering. A walking and then sleep and in a safe place, Henry. Yes. Yes, walk. Sleep. In a safe place. The place of Millie Prudhomme. A rooming house above the game room. And the capital beds of Millie's rooming house. I don't... Madness to go to your own home. Sleep at Millie Prudhomme's. And tomorrow, tomorrow... Go home safely with your winnings. Tomorrow, in full flow of life. And in broad daylight. Tomorrow. Gerald. Fabian's right in If anyone needs sleep, you surely need Come then. Quickly. Come then, quickly. I will help you. Put your arm about me. That's the dear boy. Millie? <laughs> yes, Gerald. <laughs> Come. Ah, injure, Henry. Here, 
The choicest room of Millie Prudhomme. The capital bed there. And the tasteful furnishing. And the deep sleep to be had. And the safe one. Till tomorrow, Henry. I don't know how to thank you. Oh, you have thanked me enough already with the exaltation of your splendid company. And that I could have been of some small service to your small malady. <laughs> oh, Millie. Well, let me go, Gerald. <laughs> Handsome, sir. <laughs> oh, come, come, Millie. Henry wants his sleep. Oh, the vibe, Millie. The vibe. Oh, Henry, sit. Oh, Henry. Millie Prudhomme, she... <sighs> Gerald passed into his particular oblivion in the middle of a sentence. I walked over and locked the door. Then I took my money, my winnings wrapped in a handkerchief, and placed beneath the pillow of my bed. I lay down. My senses still swam, and I looked up at the heavily brocaded canopy, and it seemed to move. Somehow to move. And for an instant, I thought, this was a terribly strange bed. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Peter Lawford in Wilkie Collins' A Terribly Strange Bed. Tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Featured in this episode as the Cropier was Vic Perrin. I auditioned for uh, Charles Lawton when he was putting together his Shakespearean group, and he auditioned 1,800 people, and I was one of 30 that he picked. Lawton donated three nights a week for three years, working with us, and we, he even bought a house in town with a big mm. living room uh, separate from the house and a fireplace and a bar, and we would <laughs> sort of sit at his feet. <laughs> and Charles said... Actors should drink together. And so... <laughs> He's at, not the first to have said that. At, at the end of each session, his wife, yeah. Elsa Lanchester, would come in, unlock the liquor cabinet, set out one bottle of booze, and everybody would have a couple of drinks before we went home. But it made for camaraderie and friendship. And it was You were rehearsing for radio purposes, stage purposes? No, for just acting. Just, you know, oh, like yeah. a workshop Yeah, situation. it was like a workshop. And, that must uh, have been an incredible uh, experience. And he was the hardest taskmaster you could ever ask for. Because yeah. you never really could please him. But you didn't want him to flatter you. So it was really fine. So when did you make the break from this in, is NBC, which this isn't, by the way, to <laughs> acting? 1945. Yeah. To cushion the transition, I had uh, some national commercials going, and I had to give those up with a staff job. And I had a mouth to feed and, and $40 a month to pay on the house, you That's know. That's right. I'm, we mustn't uh, forget that. <laughs> so I <laughs> taught at USC for yeah. two semesters. I taught radio history, radio production, and radio writing. There were a number of football players in my class uh, who expected A's and didn't get them. Uh -oh. And uh, I, <laughs> I only taught their two semesters. Uh, <laughs> Then I began to work in a couple of soap operas. There were two coast uh, soap operas here, Dr. Paul and Aunt Mary, which were very popular. Yeah. 
And then I got one of the leads in an ill-fated soap called The Story of Holly Sloan. Mm-hmm. And then I got a job in One Man's Family. I was in that for seven years playing Ross Farnsworth, who oh, was a, a real pill. Uh, <laughs> and I used to get hate letters because uh, I treated Joan so badly. You Because can't. my mother, I loved my mother very much, and she ran my life. But I was never really a part of the cast because the cast had been together for ten years before that. And I was mm-hmm. sort of an outsider. I never really was quite part of the Barber family. After the episode climax, announcer Harlow Wilcox signed off for the 246th and final time. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Peter Lawford. Here are the results of the great $100,000 Autolite family charity drawing. Over 5,200,000 entries were received for this event. Last week, the final drawing was held in New York under the supervision of a distinguished committee. Here are the names in the order of their selection. $50,000 will be distributed to the charity or charities designated by Desi L. Irish of Vallejo, California. $20,000 will go to the charity or charities designated by Lucille Foisy of Miami, Florida. $5,000 to the charity designated by Vincent W. Sisler of Howe, Indiana. $3,000 to the charity designated by Stuart Smith of Ogdensburg, New York, and $2,000 to the charity designated by L.G. Bridgewater of Kennewick, Washington. These people and 20 others who will each designate $1,000 to their favorite charities have all been notified. And now this is Harlow Wilcox wishing you a summer of safe driving with the reminder that wherever you travel, from bumper to taillight, you're always right with Autolite. Next Tuesday night, June 15th, we will continue with a new series of suspense programs. At that time and through the summer, we hope that you will join us and that we will be able each Tuesday night to keep you in suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. A Terribly Strange Bed was adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin from the story by Wilkie Collins. In tonight's story, Ben Wright was heard as Gerald, Paula Winslow as Mildred, Joseph Kearns as Fabian, and Vic Perrin as the croupier. Peter Lawford may currently be seen co-starring in the Columbia picture It Should Happen to You. And remember, suspense continues on Tuesday nights beginning next week, at which time we will present... The earth is made of glass. You can buy Autolite standard or resistor type spark plugs, Autolite stay full batteries, and Autolite original service parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is the CBS Radio Network. Elliot Lewis left the production after July 27th. Suspense would remain a sustained show until finding multiple sponsorship in late 1956. Unfortunately for Lewis, 
his other shows would soon be canceled. Phil Harris and Alice Faye went off the air on June 18th. Crime Classics on June 30th. Broadway's My Beat on August 1st. And on stage on September 30th. Hello. Oh, isn't it a lovely night? So warm for November. <laughs> Spring, really. I love walking. Oh, not so quickly, please. You take such long steps. Oh, I'm chilly. It's not warm at all. Oh, let's go back to my room. Uh, I'll fetch a coat or whatever. Oh, I must tell you, Martha said a thing. You know, Martha. <laughs> she said you were looking at me. Oh, no, no. If we go down the alley here, we can go in the back way. Well, I'll tell you. I've been looking at you. Right down there. I've put some pictures up on my wall. Oh, you'll like them, I know. Ah, right in here. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I'll just light the lamp. Oh, oh would you rather... Oh! <gasps> The seventh, the last, the greatest unsolved crime in history. The year was 1888, and it's generally considered that Jack the Ripper was a very young man, and it's thought that he ran away to America. So that spry old gentleman over there carving so deftly the roast, spooning out the kidney pie, or that one there whittling, or the one there silver-haired, a fine surgeon by day. Well... I'm just pointing out the possibility, that's all. In just a moment, Thomas Highland. Jack the Ripper, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Betty Harford was heard as Mary and D.J. Thompson as Martha. Featured in the cast were Irene Tedrow, Ben Wright, Paula Winslow, James McCallion, and Richard Peel. Roy Rowan speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Ladies and gentlemen, on Tuesday next, I begin a world cruise, uh, during which time I will reestablish my friendships with antiquarians, historians, and police officers throughout the world. Uh, this commitment makes it necessary for me to conclude this present series of crime classics effective with this broadcast. I hope to return in time to resume the series in the fall. Thank you, and good night. 
Everybody has at least one day in a lifetime like, well, like you're going to hear about tomorrow night when CBS Radio presents Kathy and Elliot Lewis on stage. Hollywood's acting Lewises star in a most unusual original story titled, Some Days It Just Doesn't Pay. And we think you'll find it delightful listening for a summer Thursday night. Try it and see. Tomorrow night on most of these same stations, Kathy and Elliot Lewis on stage. It's Light Entertainment, the Peter Lind Hayes Show, Monday through Friday evenings on the CBS Radio Network. I have always felt that everybody in the entertainment business should know enough about every part of the entertainment business so that they respect what the other people are doing. Any actor who comes in and mutters about a script should be sat in front of a typewriter and put a piece of yellow paper in the typewriter and say, fade in, interior Lucy's living room day. She comes down the stairs, her hair and curlers. Go. <laughs> Give me the other 32 pages, you know, and then argue about, is this a good script or a bad script? And conversely, the writer who is, oh, these lines are so precious, should be made to stand in front of an audience and read aloud a bad joke and look like a fool. As the actor does while the guy, you look into the wings and the writer just went, oh, well. <laughs> well, they go, right on, baby. You're standing there with mud on your face. You know, you just made one of those big things and nothing happened. And the writer's going, oh. For more info on Elliot Lewis's career, Tune into Breaking Walls episode 113.